Investor Creator teaches both seasoned and new investors how to buy the right houses at the right price anytime you want. This podcast is about answering one question. How can you build a sustainable six or seven figure investing business that changes your life without sacrificing your freedom? If you want to know the answer, you're in the right place. All of this information is 100% free, so please subscribe to and review our podcast. Hey guys, welcome to Investor Creator, where I tell you the truth about what it takes to become a high-level seven-figure real estate investor. Guys, I want to start off by telling you about my weekend. So today's Monday, and on Friday, it was my little girl's third birthday. So I took off from work. We went to the pumpkin patch and had a great time. They have the, the animals and rides and slides and you know food and all this stuff. So we had a good time there. We spent about a half day there. And the rest of the day, we had some time to plan for the party. So my little girl, we asked her, of course, what she wanted for her birthday. And it was kind of funny because she said that the two things that she wanted was cupcakes and balloons. So my wife is extremely health conscious. And if you looked at her, you would be able to tell very quickly that she's extremely health conscious. And so we don't keep cookies and cakes and ice cream and that kind of stuff in the house. So it was a real treat for my little girl whenever she gets anything sweet. And so that's what she wanted for her birthday. And I said, well, honey, we can do something else. You know, we can get you a present. This only happens once a year. And she said, no, I just want cupcakes and balloons. So one thing, if you don't have children or you're not around a lot of children, what you'll find is that whenever you do have kids, if you do, is that you go to these birthday parties and their vast majority of them are just not any fun at all. So you go to them and, you know, it's like it's kind of uh, boring and you have all these kids running around. There's nothing to do. You know, you eat cake and you leave. And one of the things that I wanted for her birthday is I'm big on creating memories and I wanted it to be fun for everyone. So I thought, okay, she wants cupcakes, which is not a big deal, but she wants balloons. So let's get the biggest dang balloon we can find. So I spent quite a bit of time finding a hot air balloon and that's what we did. So we had a hot air balloon in the backyard and it was tethered and everybody had a great time. We had a couple of pictures of sangria for everyone and had this big cake and it was just a lot of fun. So I had kind of a cool moment. So I don't have these very often. But, you know, it's like we had all of our friends and family there and, you know, this balloon is getting blown up and my little girl's just going crazy with excitement and, you know, just seeing the excitement in her eyes and all these kids running around, all of her friends. And and I was just looking at the crowd and I was thinking, this is why I do what I do. You know, without a doubt, this is exactly why I do what I do. This is why I mentor. This is why I invest. This is everything because, you know, providing these kinds of memories and, you know, just being together with everybody is just like, that's what I'm, I'm here for. And it was a lot of fun. So I had that kind of a a separate thing happen that was kind of interesting. So I was talking to my brother-in-law and we're very close. He's a really good guy. But he said, you know, I was talking to my uncle and he thinks what you do is just a fraud. And I was like kind of taken back by that. Like it's not exactly what you want to hear in conversation. And so I was like, well, you know, what's going on with that? You know, what did he say? And he says that you just go in and, you know, you buy these houses and these people don't know what is owed or what it's worth. And, you know, you just go in and you're just like stealing houses. And I was thinking, that's just really interesting to me because I really think that it's a common misnomer in what we do. And I think our industry as a whole has kind of a bad reputation at times for what we do. So today I want to go over ethics. So is it ethical to buy houses at an extreme discount? And this is something that, you know, whenever I first started, I thought, well, gosh, you know, why don't they just sell it retail? Why don't they just call a realtor? Why don't they just sell it by owner and, you know, do it and, and all that? And that's before I met a real motivated seller and, you know, everything changed at this point. But that's what we're going to talk about today is, is it ethical to buy houses at a discount? 
So let's kind of take an example that I think everyone can relate to. So let's say that there's a $100 product at Walmart. And so let's say it's just a bicycle. So you're shopping for a bicycle, either for yourself or a child or, you know, whatever. And it's a, originally $100. So it's $100 bicycle and it's on sale for 60. So it's a 40% discount. And so what we do whenever we're looking at something retail, we look it up on Amazon. And so we look at the price on Amazon and, you know, what are the ratings and all of that, which is really effective. And so you look it up and on Amazon, true enough, it's $100 and it's well rated. So it's like, okay, this is a deal. Would the average person go in and say, okay, cashier, I want this bicycle, but you know, I think 60 is just too cheap. You know, I want to pay 75. Do you think that happens very often? Well, obviously it doesn't. And so that is kind of an example of people don't mind buying it at a discount, but for some reason, houses just feel different. I don't know if it's because it's just a large asset or if it's because there's a lot of sentimental energy around it or whatever, but houses do feel different. And I agree. I mean, houses are kind of different, you know, it's just not the same. So one thing that I'm big on is that truths are found in extremes. Truths are found in extremes. So Let's take lying. So I think we can all agree that lying is wrong, but then you take it to an extreme and then it kind of becomes a gray area. Like, yes, lying is wrong, but if you're Jewish and Nazi Germany and a Nazi soldier asks you if you're Jewish and you know that if you say yes, that you're going to a concentration camp or going to die, then obviously, you know, lying is probably not wrong in that situation. And again, that's an extreme, but I think truths are found in extreme. So let's take another one. So in my opinion, a man assaulting a woman is absolutely wrong. You know, like really, really big on, you know, you don't hit a woman. But what if that woman is someone that you don't know and they're assaulting your child or they're assaulting an elderly person pretty violently? So do you assault that woman to stop her attack? So again, that's an extreme, but the truths are found in extremes. So let's go over kind of an extreme with house flipping. So let's say that we have a seller call us and they have a house that's worth a million dollars. They're 85 years old. Their ability to make a decision with capacity is in question. But, you know, of course, we can move forward with the transaction without really bringing that to light. And they think the house is worth $100,000. So they have declining health. They owe $75,000. They want $25,000 to walk, and they're willing to sell that house for $100,000. Is it ethical for us to buy that property? In my opinion, the answer is no. So why is it not ethical? Well, that's an extreme situation, but again, the truths are found in extremes. So you know, I just feel like buying something at 10 cents on the dollar is just too little. And it begs the question, well, where's the line? And I don't really have a great answer for that because I think the line is different depending on the market conditions. The line is different depending on the estimated cost of repair, depending on the capacity and wherewithal of the seller. So, you know, if we have a seller that is an extreme wealth and the money really doesn't mean anything to them, then I think that kind of changes the way that we are going to look at the situation. But in my opinion, this situation, we don't know if they have capacity. They think the house is worth $900,000 less than what it's worth. They're going to get very little money. I just don't feel good about that. And for me, I want to feel good about what we do. And I do feel good about what we do, but it's because I would never do that deal. Okay. So I think that's a, a really black and white example of a situation in which real estate investors can take advantage of people if we allow ourselves to do so. And if you see enough motivated sellers, guys, you run your marketing, you get things up and going, you start visiting people, you will, if you do this long enough, 
be put in a situation where you have the ability to take advantage. And so I hope that you make the decision early on to run an ethical and honest business that you can feel proud of and feel proud whenever you're at a party and someone says, you know, so-and-so thinks you're a fraud and you can know with absolute certainty that that's not the case because we treat people fairly. So that's a, a black and white example. Let's go over an example where it's not so clear cut. Let's say there's a house you have a motivated seller call in. They owe $250,000 on a house and the house is worth half a million dollars. They're two payments behind and all they want is the mortgage taken care of. So you're at 50% of value. It's as is. So there's no repairs that have to be done. Is it ethical to buy that house? Maybe. I think that you have to make that determination for yourself, you know, and that would be kind of a close call for us. Now, multiple times in our career of my company, we've paid people more than what they've asked for. And I think that that's an important thing to do if you're going to hinge your, your business on honesty. So let's talk about a deal that we had come across our desk not long ago. And this one came from a wholesaler. So there was a wholesaler and I'm going to kind of mess up the numbers, but as a ballpark, like $48,000 was owed. There were $6,000 in back payments. So it was about 54,000 total that was owed. The seller was getting like $2,500 and the wholesaler was going to make like 50,000. So he was actually, he had some kind of an understanding of deal structure. He was taking the 54,000 sub two or the 48,000 sub two. And then uh, whenever someone came in to take over the contract, they were going to have to pay the 6,000 in arrears, 2,500 to the seller, and then the $50,000 to the wholesaler. So this house was worth close to 185,000. Okay. So it was $185,000 and you had roughly a hundred grand that was the purchase. Okay. And this is as is. And I just look at that and I'm thinking, okay, wholesaler is making 50 and seller is walking away with 2,500. And, you know, if that were me and I was the wholesaler, you know, I think I'd have to give them more than that. You know, I just didn't feel good about it. And it was a good deal. We passed, you know, it just didn't feel right. And it's just not a deal that I really felt like was fair to that person. So let's talk about a deal that we did. This was one of my first cash deals. Okay. And I say cash, uh, it, it's not that exciting as far as uh, like I had a whole gob of cash saved up. We had a seller call us. This was in the depths of the recession. And she called in and I could tell right away that she was an older lady, very sweet lady. And we'll call her Mary. So Mary calls in and she says, I have two houses that I want to sell. And we get into conversation and she said that both her husband and her two children had died within the past 90 days. You just think about the emotional trauma that has to be associated with that. I've never lost that many people close to me, I guess, ever, but certainly with not within 90 days. And so I think about that and it's like, good Lord, you know, like what a, a tragic situation. She owned the houses free and clear. There's two houses on one deed, so I was going to have to subdivide them. And they were in a pretty marginal area of town. So they had been vacant for two or three years. She'd been trying to sell them. And it was just kind of a, a sad situation. So I didn't really know this lady's capacity or if she ha really had the ability to make a decision to sell these properties. And, and I certainly didn't want her to make a bad decision for herself. So I said, you know, ma'am, I'm happy to go and, and buy these houses. How much do you want for them? And she said, well, I want $20,000. I said, okay, so 40. And she said, no, that, that's 20 for both. And I'm like, okay, you, you certainly have my attention now. I just stopped for a second. I said, you know, Mary, is there someone that you can have meet with us? 
someone that can be kind of your advocate, maybe a friend or a colleague or someone from church or whoever. She kind of giggled a little bit, and which I thought was odd at the time. And she said, I think I have exactly the person. And I said, great. So we set the appointment. So a couple of days later, I go to the, the property and I pull up and there's a couple cars outside. And I notice that one of them is like a really, really nice undercover vehicle. And I'm like, huh, you know, like this is kind of interesting. I wonder if they had a break in or whatever. And so I park my car on the curb, which is what you'll do whenever you go to buy houses. So park on the curb and I'm going up to the front door and this great big man steps out of the front door and he has this huge like cowboy hat on and these boots and everything. And he comes up to me and he says, son, I'm Sheriff George. I'm the sheriff of this county. It's good to meet you. And I said, well, hello, Sheriff George. And he was a a real Andy Griffith type. I really enjoyed this guy. So we talked for about 10 or 15 minutes. Now, whenever we're in negotiation and there's a gatekeeper, we have to neutralize the gatekeeper. So I spent about 10 or 15 minutes with him. And luckily, he knew my uncle, who was fire chief in a different county. And so we hit it off real well. And he said, Mary, I'm going to go on to work. You know, you're in good hands with this guy. This is a nice young man. And I was certainly young at the time. I guess I was about 25. So I ended up buying these houses for $7,000. Okay, so that was for two of them. They were dilapidated. There was somebody in one of the units that like was a homeless guy, is a you know super crime-ridden place and all that. And so that's what I felt comfortable giving. Fast forward, I take title to these houses. And again, this was in the depths of the recession. So what I was doing at the time was almost all creating notes. So I'd buy property and sell it with owner financing. And so I was creating notes. So I was going to sell each house for $25,000 with owner financing. So my goal was to get five down. I'd carry 40,000 in paper and get my cash out of the deal and make like 3,000 in profit on the front end and carry the 40,000 at 10%. Okay. So we'd create two different notes in first position. You know, I could leverage those notes if I needed to, but those were going to be really, really good notes. So an odd thing happened. So I was advertising the houses on Craigslist. And I think I put them on at like three o'clock in the afternoon. About 3.15, I get an email from a guy that says, hey, I'm interested in these houses. I'm a neighbor. Now, guys, whenever you sell real estate or you're going to go sell some real estate, then you know that neighbors can be kind of nosy. They want to see, you know, what something's going for. You know, what did the Joneses, uh, what did their bedroom look like? God only knows, right? I kind of blew it off a little bit. I said, well, you know, I've got to get the doors, locks changed and all that. So whenever I I get that done, I'll call you. And I guess it just kind of slipped my mind. I never did. So he reached out to me about, I don't know, two weeks after that and said, hey, do you have the houses yet? And I said, yeah, you know, there's a lockbox on the front door. Go take a look. You know, if you're interested, just call me kind of whatever. About 30 minutes later, he called me and he said, hey, I'll take this one. I know you're selling them for 25. Would you take 20? And I, I said, no, you know, we're selling it for 25. You know, what kind of a down payment are you trying to work with? And he said, what do you mean down payment? I said, well, you know, you have to have a down payment. I'm not going to owner finance you the property without a down payment. He said, oh no, I'm paying cash. I sold him that house for 20,000 cash, but he didn't want the other one. So about two weeks after that, I'm sitting with a friend of mine. I'm telling him about this deal and how great it's working out and all of this. And he calls me and he said, hey, you know, I've really been thinking about the house. And I want to talk to you about it. Now, guys, whenever you have a deal under contract, but you don't have the earnest money yet, you do not want to get a call from your buyer saying, hey, I've been thinking. Okay. So my first thought was, oh gosh, he's going to back out and there goes my deal. Right. So he said, well, I've really been thinking and I think I want the other house too, but would you sell it to me for 15? And I said, well, if you'll go 17, I'll sell it to you. I sold them both of them for $37,000 and I had 7,000 in it. 
And so close, got everything done. I've got $30,000 in profit and a pretty strong rate of return. I don't know cash on cash what that is, but I mean, it's pretty, what, like 500% in 30 days or something. I didn't really feel great about that. So to talk about ethics, I actually sent Mary more money. And I don't know if she really needed it. She had a nice car and, you know, I don't really think she was hurting for money, but, you know, that's just something that I wanted to do. So all that to say, guys, whenever we're doing this business, we can do it in an ethical and honest way if that's how we choose to do it. And you're going to buy more houses if you're honest with people. I grew up in a family that we were in livestock. It really is kind of like the Wild West because everybody's trying to kind of hose everybody else. And so that's what I I thought that this business was going to be. And I didn't think I'd be good at it. Guys, it doesn't have to be that way. So there's two things that we do with our business to make sure that we feel that the deal is solid, that the deal is ethical. Number one, we will not buy a house if the seller does not have a good understanding of value. So the situation where the house was worth a million dollars and they said, oh, you know, this house is worth a hundred thousand. Well, that would never happen. And if that happened in real life, we would say, well, you know what? Why don't we look at Zillow and look at Trulia and Realtor.com and Redfin and get some ideas of what the value would be? Frankly, guys, most people, because of the internet, are going to have a, a pretty good indication of what value is anyway. And of course, either any one of those data sets can be wrong and wrong at an extreme. But usually if you take all of them and you kind of average it, it's in the ballpark. I mean, it may not be you know 100% on, but it's in the ballpark. So the previous episode where we talked about the $40,000 equity position that we picked up, the guy knew within you know $5,000 what the house was worth. And we got, I guess, about $5,000 more than, than what he thought. But whenever he says, you know, I think it's worth in the 130s and I think 140, then I feel pretty good about that. So that's the first thing that we want. We want a seller that knows what the value is. The second thing is when we have our purchase and sale agreement. Now, guys, you call it a purchase and sale agreement. We don't call it a contract. And, you know, if that's not obvious, email me and I'll go over that. But and I'll probably just do a podcast on basic sales ability. But we call it a purchase and sale agreement. So I have a a standard three page agreement. The first thing that our seller approves on that agreement is a line item where they initial that we buy and sell for profit. So if it's not clear already, we're making it 100% abundantly clear that we buy and sell for profit. Here is a line item, guys, uh, Mr. Seller, Mrs. Seller, that says we buy and sell for profit. I'll need an initial here. Okay, they already have the pen in their hand. And then we say, okay, I need approval here. And then the best contact information for the title company below that. And so that's how we get our contract signed. So it's really easy. It's upfront. We're honest. We're ethical. We let people know what we're doing. And so obviously, if we buy and sell for profit, then there has to be a profit margin there. We don't want people to expect that we're paying them market value if we're not. And there's two types of equity. There's equity in price and there's equity in terms. We can go over that at a different time also. So sometimes we're paying pretty close to market value, but it's at a 0% owner finance rate or it's a some now some later deal. We can go over that also. But guys, I want us to bring the industry up. I think that the industry as a whole has a little bit of a black eye. And I think that there's some articles that have floated around and some stories that have gotten out about people taking advantage of people. And it can happen. It does happen. I'm sure it'll continue to happen. It happens in every industry, but I think ours happens maybe a little bit more. And even if it's not a little bit more, it's definitely more public because homes are a very real thing for people. You know, they're a very sentimental thing and it's a very touchy subject at times. So guys, think about what ethics mean to you. 
and think about what kind of framework you can instill in your purchase and sale agreement to make it clear, you know, you're buying and selling for profit or really what kind of steps you want to take to feel good about what you're doing. Because at the end of the day, if we don't feel good about what we're doing, then we're not going to be as successful as we could be. And that's what we're here to do is do the right thing and do very well while we're doing it. All right, guys, enjoyed it. Hope you have a good day. Happy investing. Happy investing.